If you're visiting with us this morning, uh, I want to welcome you. If you don't have a Bible, we have Bibles for you. Just raise your hand right now. And um, besides Phil Grippy, who has one in his hand, he's raising his hand. Uh, but if you really, truly don't have a Bible and you're not just being, you know, funny, raise your hand. There you go. We'd love to uh, give you a Bible if you don't have one. Um, very important that you have your life built on the Word of God. Proverbs chapter 17, let's begin in verse 15. He who justifies the wicked and he who condemns the just, both of them alike are an abomination to the Lord. Why is there in the hand of a fool the purchase price of wisdom, since he has no heart for it? A friend loves at all times, and a brother is born for adversity. A man devoid of understanding shakes hands in a pledge and becomes surety for his friend. He who loves transgression loves strife, and he who exalts his gate seeks destruction. He who has a deceitful heart finds no good, and he who has a perverse tongue falls into evil. He who begets a scoffer does does so to his sorrow, and the father of a fool has no joy. A merry heart does good, like medicine, but a broken spirit dries the bones. A wicked man accepts a bribe because the back, or behind the back, to pervert the ways of justice. Wisdom is in the, sum, the sight of him who has understanding, but the eyes of a fool are on the ends of the earth. A foolish son is a grief to his father, and bitterness to her who bore him. Also, to punish the righteous is not good nor to strike princes for their uprightness. He who has knowledge spares his words, and a man of understanding is of a calm spirit. Even a fool is counted wise when he holds his peace. When he shuts his lips, he is considered perceptive. Let's pray together. Lord, thank you for your word. Thank you for the privilege of being able to turn to it any time and have you build our lives upon it in its wisdom. We want to grow as disciples, Lord. We want to grow in being like you. So use these verses for those purposes, Lord. We yield our hearts to you. We want to be taught by you. We want to be redirected, encouraged, convicted. All the things, Lord, that you do so faithfully for our good. So we yield our lives to you right now, and we want you to speak to us. We thank you for that privilege that you want to speak with us. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Please be seated. Well, we're steadily making our way through the book of Proverbs. We're just slightly over halfway. I've always told my wife that there, she's a Proverbs 32 woman, and I don't, she hasn't really shown appreciation for that. I'm not sure why. Um, probably she doesn't know what I mean by it, but there isn't 32 Proverbs. Uh, there's 31, so we're a little bit over halfway done. And, you know, the, it's a good searching question for all of us, how much wisdom have we learned from this book so far? How much wisdom have we realized that we weren't walking in? You know, um, has God showed us examples of how we weren't applying wisdom? And, and have we made, have we just left it like that? Or, or are we wanting God to make those changes in us and us actually make those changes with his grace and to be able to be the type of people he wants us to be? Because wisdom is not knowledge. Wisdom is knowledge rightly applied. 
so we can have all the head knowledge. I mean, here Solomon is. We've talked about this. He's the wisest man that ever lived apart from Christ. And at the end of his life, he didn't apply this. So that is what God doesn't want for us. He doesn't want us to live a life that we look back and go, it's full of regrets because I didn't obey what God told me to obey. Because I did things my own way. Because I did what's right in my own eyes. So we need to be listening. This isn't just a mental exercise. This isn't just gaining head knowledge. This is bearing our hearts before the Lord. Lord, what do you want to speak to me about? What do you want to say to me? I want to live my life in, in a way that's pleasing to you. What wisdom do you want to show me? And then by your grace and by your power, I will put it into practice. That's what we have to focus on. Always. Notice in verse 15, I want you to see that Solomon focuses on God's view of the importance of justice as he begins this last part of this chapter. He says in verse 15, He who justifies the wicked and he who condemns the just, both of them alike, are an abomination to the Lord. So both of those things God hates. He hates people that, when there's wickedness, that they let them off the hook. And he hates that when people condemn people unjustly and and they punish people that are that haven't done anything wrong it's an abomination to the lord let me let me read to you from isaiah who would write later um, about three or four hundred years after this he would write this in chapter 5 verse 20 woe to those who call evil good and good evil who put darkness for light and light for darkness who put bitter for sweet and sweet for bitter. He's not talking about bad cooking. <laughs> no, he's talking about people that do the wrong thing in the sense that they call things that are good evil and call evil good. And we, aren't we seeing that more and more in our culture? It's just getting more prevalent, more prevalent. We can't be stumbled by that. You know, God said a long time ago and prophesied that what it'll look like in the last days and how bad it'll get and people will be lovers of themselves and they will even heap up teachers for themselves that will tell them what their itching ears want to hear and that means that those that teaching will be man-centered they'll be focused on ourselves but also in every area of society everything's going to get redefined in the culture and we can't go and say well you know that's just stumbling me you know, maybe God's losing. God isn't losing anything. This is all going towards where he wants it to go. There's an end times timetable that's right on time. He's not worried about it. He's not stressing up there on the throne. He's at peace. I mean, he doesn't like to see evil. He doesn't like to see people suffer as a result of it. But he, he says, I hate when people justify the wicked and condemn the just. You know, unbelievers in this world, and you know, we are supposed to be engaged with speaking with unbelievers regularly at being salt and light in this world outside the church, preaching the gospel and all of that. And they talk a lot about love. I believe that will be the Antichrist, one of his mantras about loving. We need to, we need to love unconditionally. But what that will mean is that we let everybody, we, every, every type of behavior is okay. And if you don't see that every type of behavior is okay, then you're not loving. And so it's all going to be done in just the very, it's always taking something that God is, is for or stands behind or is about or one of his characteristics and trying to mimic it and trying to, to 
co-opt it or hijack it for his purposes. So we're going to see that as we get closer and closer to the end and it can't stumble us. But God is not just love. He's also just. And that was the big problem. How are you going? How can you be all loving and, and, and just at the same time? How can you mete out justice related to the sin of mankind but at the same time demonstrate your love that you, that, that you want to save them? The cross. He both is the justifier and the, the just person all in one. He, he's, he solved it by the cross because he could remain all loving and remain just because justice was done on that cross. That's what propitiation means. That word propitiation, it means satisfied payment. So when Jesus was on the cross, God the Father took all the wrath that we deserved on the Son and that said, we said it pleased the Father. So that was done on our behalf. So it's not like the people get away with anything. I've had people tell me, you know, criticize me when I have led people to the Lord on their deathbed. And how dare you do that? I mean, you're saying that they're oh, going to heaven and here they are, did all this horrible stuff. It's like they got away with it. You know, justice wasn't done. No, justice was done. It was just meted out on, on Christ. So someone paid the price. It wasn't them, although their lifestyle probably suffered as a result of living apart from Christ, of course. But beyond that, the sins were paid for on the cross. So God hates injustice. That's a very popular term in our culture, injustice. He hates it, legitimate injustice. He absolutely despises it. It's an abomination to him. And, you know, governments, when we're talking about people getting away with things, we need to look at governments. We immediately think of governments. We have high government officials doing things that if anyone of us did it, we would be in jail, but they get away with it. That's horrible. But then we see people that stand up for their convictions as a business owner, and they say, no, I'm not going to be a part of this, and I have the freedom to do that, but yet they're punished for their convictions. They're innocent, standing up for the things that are right, but then they get punished. Just what this verse is talking about, and God despises that. But even in our own hearts, we can excuse wickedness. We can just kind of say it's okay, you know, because we don't want to offend people, we don't want to upset people. It doesn't mean that we're the sin police. It doesn't mean that we're, you know, beating people over the head because of their sin. We're not talking about that. I'm just talking about just glossing over it and f- being fine with it. Or we punish people for doing the right thing. Maybe because we know we should be doing the right thing. And they, as a believer, are doing the right thing. It convicts us, but we criticize them. We have to be very careful about our criticism of people in general. And, all, and especially believers. We, can't, we have to be very careful of slander, gossip, and all those things. So it's important. God hates all of that. He wants us to mete out justice fairly, graciously, lovingly, but of course without, also without partiality. That's how God is, so he wants us to be the same way. Now, in verse 16, we see how futile it is for fools to attempt to acquire wisdom. Look with me in verse 16. He says, Why is there in the hand of a fool the purchase price of wisdom since he has no heart for it. So the first thing we see is you, he attempts to purchase wisdom. You see that? The hand of a fool, the purchase price of wisdom. So he thinks he can purchase wisdom. You can't purchase wisdom. You have to have a heart for wisdom, and then you can receive it. God isn't charging for wisdom these days. Well, maybe on Christian television, unfortunately. But that's not God. That's them charging it, unfortunately. And these false teachers make lots of money off of it. But God isn't charging for, for wisdom. 
And there's, there's all kinds of people that try to get the, they don't want to go God's way. They'd rather go another way to try to get wisdom. And, you know, they'll, they'll, they'll buy all these books and they'll, they'll buy podcasts and they'll watch TED Talks and they'll, all this stuff. And I'm not saying that people can't learn from that stuff. But the people, I'm talking about the foundational principles of life. God understands. There's a reason why this is called a Bible. Basic instructions before leaving earth. You know, this is, this is the foundation of life. This explains life. It explains why we are, how we are. It explains the solution to our problem. It, it says where, where, where all this is leading to. It gives meaning to everything that we experience in life. You're not going to find anything beyond this. If, if you find anything that's good, that's worthy to be assimilated or, or gleaned from, it's going to be from, from this or this being the, the foundation. That may seem prideful to people. Whoa, how could you say that? It's so arrogant. How are you, you know, because God chose to reveal his revelation in one book, and God has the right to do that. Who, are you going to say that an almighty God doesn't have the right to reveal his revelation in one book through fallible men? You know, 40 authors over three continents over 1,500 years, all lining up perfectly? Are you saying that God doesn't have the right to do that? Yes, he does have the right to do that. But you have to be open to looking at all the evidence related to that if you're not convinced of it. You have to have a heart to receive that. But the issue, like he says in the verse, is they don't have a heart for it. See, the heart has to be right. Then they can, the heart can receive all of the wisdom that God wants to freely disseminate. Proverbs chapter 9, verse 10. We've already looked at it recently. The fear of the Lord is the beginning of wisdom. The fear of the Lord is the beginning of wisdom. And the knowledge of the Holy One, that's talking about the Messiah, the Holy One. The knowledge of the Holy One is understanding. So that's where it starts. So any guru, teacher, pastor, imam, I don't care who it is, that says they have the answers to life and all of that, it doesn't start with a fear and understanding of the Holy One of Israel, which is the Messiah, and doesn't believe in the one true living God that the God of Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob, there's no wisdom to be found related to the deep things of life, how all these things that I talked about. Yeah, I can go to a teacher and learn how to, you know, paint a fence or fix a car or, you know, learn mathematics or whatever. I'm not talking about that. I'm talking about the things of life, why we exist, why we're here, what's our purpose in life, all those things. That becomes by the fear of the Lord. And when you go to other, you know, voices then you're open for deception. And God warns us that. He tells us in Psalm 1, 1, Blessed is the man who walks not in the counsel of the ungodly. So there are people that get off track because they stop fearing the Lord. They stop going that direction. They start listening to the ungodly. And before you know it, usually it's a result and overflow of them not being grounded in the word. But then before you know it, they're questioning things. They never questioned in, in the beginning. So the heart has to be right, has to be teachable, receptive, and so forth. You can't buy it. God offers it freely. He loves to do it. We just have to be receptive, and fools aren't. Verse 17. A friend loves at all times, and a brother is born for adversity. This proverb, verse 17, teaches us the value of friendship, and the main characteristic of godly friends and good friends is is faithful love that's really what the essence of a, a friendship is a valuable friendship when a person becomes a christian right before, even before they become a christian sometimes i share with them 
that when you become a Christian, you're going to find out who your friends are. You're going to find out who truly is, a, uh, is, is your friend. And, and that people usually, it's very conditional. Sometimes we can go for years and not realize that it's conditional. People only love us if we're about what they're about and so forth. And they be in the things that they're into. But God-given friends will stick with us through anything. And so they're loyal no matter what, whatever circumstance. They're loyal and it's something to, to thank God for. And he wants us to be a faithful friend. To be unconditionally loving towards people and there for them and faithful and all that. We all fall short at times. We all do. But it doesn't mean that God wants us to not keep growing in that and being a faithful friend. And one of the ultimate example is the Lord Jesus himself, of course. Listen to what he said. No longer do I call you servants, for a servant does not know what his master is doing. But I have called you friends, for all friends that I heard from my father, or, or all, for all things that I heard from my father, I have made known to you. He's the ultimate friend. Obviously, he's much more than a friend, but he's a friend. I mean, there's no other distinction that, I mean, what, what distinction that he gave our relationship with him what, and, and designated those things, what did he not think of? He's, he's thought of everything. So there are times in our Christian walk where we feel very alone. We feel like we don't have a lot of friends. Jesus is always there. He's always faithful. He will never leave us nor forsake us. We can have all kinds of friends do that, but he will never leave us nor forsake us. So we need to be a good friend. We need to be thankful for our friends. We need to recognize that they're from him. But he also says, last part of that verse, a brother is born for adversity. And likely this is talking about our real family brother, if we have a sibling, that they're there for us in ways that other people usually aren't. Sometimes we, some of us have had bad siblings or not faithful siblings, and we wish we could have that and all of that. But the ones that God has provided for us that are good, they're for our benefit, they're for our good, and we need to be thankful for them. I mean, if we're a sibling ourselves, we need to be a faithful sibling to our siblings and, and, and to be consistently there for them as well. See, this is what we forget. God has put things and people in our lives. We don't even recognize that they're from him. And we think that they're, they're naturally there. And they're really not. Jesus said every good and perfect gift is from him. So we need to recognize and be thankful for that and, and see it as a stewardship and see it as a, a way that I need to properly take care of those relationships and foster them. That's what God wants for us. So beautiful example with the Lord Jesus. And actually in Hebrews, I believe it's chapter 2 in there, he refers to calling us brethren. So in a sense, he's our brother as well, our older brother, if you want to say that. It's very loose. <laughs> the Trinity isn't, you know, having, oper- uh, you know, openings. There's no openings in the Trinity uh, there. It's closed, uh, being there, God. So we can't... Uh, get too ahead of ourselves with that verse 18 a man devoid of understanding shakes hands in a pledge and becomes surety for his friend now we've seen this over and over as we've gone through proverbs verse by verse and it's talking about co-signing and usually the context has been for somebody that's a fool or somebody not trustworthy or whatever that you are just asking for it but in general we should be very careful about doing those kind of things and it it frowns upon it because we're basically letting ourselves be open to getting hurt financially with his money because all of our money is his money by by 
putting ourselves on the line for somebody else. And um, we have to be very, very careful of that. That was, that was warned against there. So we have to be careful. A lot of times the greater need that someone has is far beyond them getting that whatever it is they, they need, a car or whatever it is, a cosign that you would cosign for. Their need is there's greater related to their character development, and they need to wait. They need to be patient. They need to live within their means. They need to learn how to save. They need to learn whatever it is. There's usually a greater need going on that you, can, you and I can identify that we can help them in a greater way if we say this is what really needs to happen. So we have to look for those opportunities. Verse 19, he who loves transgression loves strife, and he who exalts his gate seeks destruction. This is interesting because transgression, usually we separate strife from transgression in in some ways. Like it's just, it's natural. You know, we're just my personality and they're their personality and there's just strife that happens because we're just different and all of that. And there's a close association related to believers with strife and transgression because for believers to consistently in a long-term arrangement be at strife with one another either one or both are sinning because there's usually they're not being gracious they're not being forgiving and they're not trying to put themselves in the other person's shoes understand where they're coming from we're doing the easy thing which is to divide and separate instead of coming together and, and trying really hard to be in unity with that person you know there are people that are going to get on our nerves. There are going to be people that we don't really care about, care to be around, at, you know, if it was our first choice or whatever, but that God still brought us together. And a lot of times he exposes things that has to change in us by allowing us to be around people that rub us the wrong way or whatever. And, and usually those things, God wants to deal with those things and help us grow and stretch us, but we quickly divide so fast that those things can't be exposed in our hearts by the Lord because we've just divided. It's not the first thing that we should immediately go to is division. God wants us to, I want you to picture being in a first century church in a town that, you know, maybe the the Apostle Paul just planted this church three years ago, five years ago. There's probably not another church in that town. So you're there and you're in the scriptures or whatever, and, and you're reading that God has said in these letters to love one another, to care for each other. And so there's, there's, a, there's, a, there's a way for us, and it's his unlimited resources of grace and forgiveness and all that, for us to be able to walk in unity, even when people don't rub us the right way and they do things. And I mean, he wouldn't have to tell us to forgive one another and to love one another if there weren't going to be occasions where we'd have to do that. And sometimes that shocks us as believers. Like we can't, we're in a church. Why should we have to deal with things? Why should we, you know, because we're all growing. There's different levels of maturity. For one, we don't card people. Before you come in, I want to see your, your card that, that demonstrates from God that you have the Holy Spirit living inside it. We don't do that. Anybody can walk in these doors. And we all fall short. We all make mistakes. We all, you know, all those things. So we have to recognize that we're all, we're all growing. So we have to recognize he doesn't want that strife. He doesn't want that transgression. But notice he says the end of verse 19, and he who exalts his gate seeks destruction. That is likely talking about the gate of his home. It could be something else, but it's likely the gate of his home. So he exalts how great his gate is. I mean, it could be really tall back then. It could be really grand. It's like talking about putting the focus and exalting his, what he has and his life and having that be 
basically him showcasing those things and, and kind of bragging about those things for other people. And the, it, it kind of is speaking, getting to the fact that some of that maybe have, have happened as a result of dishonest gain potentially because that's where destruction comes in. Because God's not against us being wealthy if we have our hearts in the right place. But the destruction comes if we've gained those things by doing the wrong thing and we've been rebellious and transgressing God's word and, and having dishonest gain to be able to get those things. And we're saying, hey, look how great, how much I have and all of that. It's not going to last long. Now, I think of the, when Jesus talked about the man who, who built barns because he was prospering so much. I'm going to build bigger barns and everything. And he was just trusting in himself and not willing to give and all these things. And, and um, you know, he says, your life will be required, this, be required of you this very night. Like, who are you to even recognize that? This is from you. This is from me. And, and to have that pride that it all comes from me and I'm the source of all of it, God will shake that to its core in us. He will break us of that. He will discipline us. He wants us to always point to him and do things correctly, biblically, with integrity. And whatever he blesses us with as a result of that, with us having an open hand for him to take in and put out, take out as he sees fit, great. But apart from that, we're going to be disciplined by him. And he's not going to enjoy any of that discipline. But he wants us to turn back to him and do things the correct way. Verse 20. He who has a deceitful heart finds no good. It's like he's carrying on from the last verse. And he who has a perverse tongue falls into evil. And we've seen this theme over and over again of the heart and also the tongue. And we just have to be very careful. There's a reason why God puts it in his word over and over and over and over again about our tongues. Are we tearing down? Are we building up? Are we slandering? Are we gossiping? Are we saying things we shouldn't say? Are we saying things to people that they're about somebody else that they're not there and they have no a chance to defend themselves and all those things? I don't think we have a really big problem with that here, but we have to guard ourselves against that. Be careful what you say. It affects other people greatly, and I, I'm talking to me too. So we have to recognize that. A deceitful heart finds no good. So if you're trying to be deceitful, you're trying to fool people, all of that, it's not, you're not going to find anything good as a result of that. And, that and, and, a, and a perverse tongue, because out of the abundance of the heart, the mouth speaks, a perverse tongue is going to cause more and more evil and fall into evil. He who begets a scoffer does so to his sorrow, and the father of a fool has no joy. So obviously this parents is very painful when our children or grandchildren or people that we love, that we care about, mock the things of the Lord, are turning away from the Lord, and, and those that don't do the right thing, our children, that breaks our hearts, and maybe you're in that position right now. I just want to encourage you. Keeping a godly example. Keep being a godly example. Keep praying. Don't give up praying. If your child is far from the Lord... Or maybe doesn't know the Lord. Keep being an example. Keep walking in the abundant life that he's called us to. Keep letting them see the peace and the joy that comes from walking with Christ. Keep letting them see that. Keep letting them just have you being an overflowing vessel of the Lord into their life. It's powerful. It's sometimes in the, we, we, we get, forget how bad it is out there. How miserable people are out there. How they're just getting chewed up and spit out by the world. And so we just need to model the abundant life and continu continuously pray, 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 pray. 
Verse 22. A merry heart does good, like medicine, but a broken spirit dries the bones. And it's literally a cure it causes to be good there in the Hebrew. So it, it's that, that merry heart, happiness and that merry heart. We, we wish we had that. You know, I'm not talking about entertainment tonight with merry heart. Um, sorry, I came to my mind. But a true merry heart, you know. Sorry. But it's just, it's like, don't say it, don't say it. But, you know, I, when, I love to laugh. I love to have fun. I love to, to joke around. And that gets me in trouble sometimes. But, you know, it's good to have fun. Sometimes we think, if I'm spiritual, I'm always serious. And that's not true. We need to laugh. I mean, God has a sense of humor. Look at who he chooses. My goodness. It's like, look at the disciples. That's, it's not the best he could come up with. It's the one that he chose, and it would be strong in his grace. That's why we have a chance to serve. Because he's gracious and he wants people to point to him when they, he does something through their lives. But it is funny. It is so, there's so many times in scripture I just laugh so hard because he's, God is hilarious. So we, it's okay to laugh. It's okay to be, you know, it's, it's, just, it's, just, it's just there's times obviously to be sober-minded. There's times to be serious. There's times to joke and all that. But a merry heart does good. It's like, it is like medicine. We need to laugh. Sometimes I think that, and I include myself in this category, we can get so uptight, and we take things so, I get so serious with stuff. And my, one of my closest friends, one of the things he loves to do is that I'll be all serious about something and really just getting all intense, and he throws little jokes, ding, 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 in the middle of it. I'm like, I'm trying to be serious here, you know, I'm like trying to, he goes, you're not that serious right now, you're just wanting to finish your story without being interrupted, you're okay, you know, and we'll laugh or whatever. And then I'll do it back to him or whatever. But um, it's okay. We get uptight sometimes. We need to relax. You know, God's, look at all through the scriptures. I mean, it's just, his sense of humor is everywhere. (laughs) I'm going to stop there. Sorry about the merry heart. Um, Verse 23. A wicked man accepts a bribe. And that's the stuff you guys remember and come back later with. I I can't believe you said merry heart. You know, but. A wicked heart, I can't believe it either. A wicked man accepts a bribe behind the back. To pervert the ways of justice. So it's really sly. You know, it's not out in the open where you're just giving something to someone. It's, you know, in their garment behind them or whatever they mean by this. But they, a wicked man accepts a bribe behind the back to pervert the ways of justice. Now we've been going over bribes in the book of Proverbs. We've been going over this. He's touched on it multiple times. And sometimes we get so out of touch with bribes because we usually don't, no one's bribing us uh, for, because we don't have anything to offer. Uh, and also, we don't, we're not bribing people. It's like, hey, you know, got here at AM PM. Hey, I want to cut in line. I'll, I'll give you, you know, milk dud if you, uh, you know, let me have three more spots forward or something. Like, you just, we don't think about that. But our government, it's all over the place. Everywhere in government. I don't care what party. There's bribing going on. There's, there's, favors there's the, you know and it's it's like all of a sudden they make these laws against it and then before you know it someone finds out that they undid that law without announcing it for some strange reason they didn't announce that they undid that law it's just horrible so god sees all of that and he hates it he hates all of those bribes he he it perverts the ways of justice that's what he says it does 
That's what, he's incur- that's what he wants. And we can see in the book of Romans that he uses the authorities as an extension of him in this world for discipline and godliness and, and you know, having him be an extension in this world. So it, it breaks up and, and, and gets in the way of the ways of justice. No, I'm not going to say nothing else. There's something else. Okay. Um, I'm taming my tongue right now, so you need to encourage me with that uh, so you don't have to hear these dumb jokes. Proverbs 24, 24, it says, He who says to the wicked, you are righteous, him the people will curse, nations will abhor him. So that's, God hates that. He doesn't want us to render someone innocent when they're guilty and so forth. Verse 24, wisdom is in the sight of him who has understanding, but the eyes of a fool are on the ends of the earth. What's interesting is that when this is really kind of speaking of that wisdom, if you're open to it and you're allowing God's wisdom to come to you, it's like a illumination where you can see before you and you can actually see more wisdom because you are walking in wisdom. You can see more wisdom here. And so the, the wise person seeks wisdom in obvious places, whereas a fool's eyes wander and never see it. They look what's on the horizon, and God has all this wisdom right in front of them. Now, we, we've experienced that personally, right, where we are looking for the answer or looking really far, and it's right in front of our faces. The wisdom that we're seeking, the person that we're supposed to listen to, or the answer to prayer, or the person that God's provided we didn't recognize, or whatever, that's, that's what it's saying. Wisdom is in the sight of him who has understanding. When you have wisdom, when you walk in wisdom, you can see and recognize it even better. Amen? You can see it. You can recognize. The more you know wisdom, the more wise you are, the more you recognize wisdom. But if you're not, then, then, and you're foolish, then you're looking all over the place. You're always searching for something. You're trying to grab onto something that's wise, but you're not getting it because you're not coming the way that God says to come and getting his wisdom. So he says that. He says the eyes of the fool are on the ends of the earth. They never stop looking. Verse 25. A foolish son is a grief to his father and bitterness to her who bore him. So again, encouragement to you parents that we would... As parents, we would recognize that the truth, God's honest, that is a grief when they're foolish, our children are are foolish and so forth, they make bad choices, it hurts us, and it's grief to us, and all of that. But again, God would have us keep pushing forward, keep going forward with prayer, keep going forward with modeling, obedience, walking in the joy of the Lord, giving those things to God. It can be debilitating, it can be paralyzing. But we have to give it to him on a moment-by-moment basis and get prayer and all those things. And he will continue to be faithful as he's always been. So I just want to encourage you. If your kids are in that condition, God has a heart for that. He has a heart for you. He cares about what you're going through. He has compassion on what you're going through. And he has grace for it. Verse 26. Also, to punish the righteous is not good nor to strike princes for their uprightness. So it's probably talking about princes being those that are in authority and all of that to, to disrespect them. And, you know, in our country, we're getting more and more comfortable with disrespecting authority. It doesn't matter really what authority it is. People are getting more and more comfortable with disrespecting authority and not respecting the people that sacrifice to give us security and so forth. And it shouldn't be the case. 
So we shouldn't punish the righteous and we shouldn't, rec- we shouldn't not le- heed or respect those that are in authority, that walk in integrity. Verse 27, he who has knowledge spares his words and a man of understanding is of a calm spirit. The word calm there in Hebrew literally means cool. And I don't know if that word, that, if it, the whole phrase, you know, kind of a cool head or whatever came from that kind of, or that idea, not that phrase specifically, but just that kind of idea that, that coolness and calmness are kind of the same thing. And, and so sparing his words. We're told in scripture that in the multitude of words, sin is not lacking. So we get in trouble because we talk too much. I'm the first one to admit, but all of us do at times talk too much. And, and so he says there that we have to be very careful. We have to spare our words. Be contemplative. Think about what we're about to say. Think before you talk. All those things we tell our kids, but God wants us to, to lead by example and not just say, do what I say, not do what I do. We need to walk by example, be careful with our words, and think and pause. All it takes is a few seconds, and it really saves us a lot of trouble, doesn't it? We just pause for a few seconds, think about what we're supposed to say before we say it, and be quick to listen, slow to speak, slow to wrath, all those things. That's what God wants for us. Verse 28, even a fool is counted wise when he holds his peace. When he shuts his lips, he is considered perceptive. There's a saying, you may have heard it, better to keep your mouth closed and have people wonder if you're a fool than open it and remove all doubt. <laughs> and that's wise. You know, I've been around people that are, we're talking, we're in a meeting and we're, they're, they're way, 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 way beyond my, under, you know, in, intel, intellect and all those things, experience, and you really are thinking like, I, I don't belong here. You know, it's like, what am I doing here type thing? And you're just quiet. And sometimes they can take that as, yeah, this guy is right with us. He knows exactly what, you know, we're doing. And, yeah, he's like, he's so wise that he, he's like, you know, he's just, he's above what we have to say or whatever. And, you know, it, it, there's, there's wisdom in being quiet. He just talked about there, he who has knowledge spares his words. So he's saying even a fool is counted wise when he holds his peace. So he's given us an example. You know, hold your, be careful of your words and all of that. And, and he says, he who shuts his lips, he is considered perceptive. So there's a time to speak. There's a time to be quiet. There's a time to listen. Most of the time we get, get into trouble because we're do, too busy talking. There's a reason why he gave us two ears and one mouth. You know, maybe to give us a sign that we should be listening twice as much as we're talking. But we miss a lot of things because we're busy talking instead of really listening and contemplating what we're supposed to say. Because... You know, we're supposed to weigh all those things. We're supposed to weigh our words and we're supposed to be careful because we can do a lot of damage, be, uh, you know, just by saying the things that, that we shouldn't say. So it'd be very careful. Let's pray together. Thank you, Lord, for your word. Thank you for this chapter. We thank you, Father, that you continue to guide us into all truth. We want to be obedient to you. We want to glorify you. We thank you for the gift of your word. Continue to make us like the, like the people or into the people you want us to be. In Jesus' name, amen. Let's stand together. If you're here and you're not a Christian, 
Listen up. It's very important that you understand that you don't become a Christian by going to church. Are you hearing me? You don't become a Christian by going to church. You become a Christian by having a spiritual birth at a moment in time when you recognize that Jesus is the Messiah. He's the one that God promised. And he's the one that died on the cross for your sins and he rose from the dead and he wants you to trust in that alone to pay your way to heaven. And he wants you to make a U-turn in the road of life, repent of your sins and turn to him and make him your Lord and Savior. And if you haven't done that, you're not on your way to heaven. Just being honest with you, you're not on your way to heaven. So come forward after the service. There'll be those up front after the service. We'd love to pray with you to begin a relationship with him. God may send you to a totally different church. That's none of our business. But if today is your day, you don't want to leave here without getting right with God. Because you don't know that you'll have another minute before you, you know, we, we never know. We just never know. So come forward. We'd love to pray with you to receive Christ. We need prayer for anything. We'd love to pray with you. Now, I do have a little bit of news. It's a little bittersweet. Um, Dave Miller, our good, beloved man of God, worship leader, is stepping down as worship leader. Uh, We're going to have Noel Canifax and possibly some other people um, lead us in worship. It's not often that you have someone lead worship for nine years faithfully in a church. That's God's grace. That's God's grace for us. And we've enjoyed him leading and his gift and all of that. So, you know, we're rejoicing for him and what the Lord has for him. But obviously we're sad because we love him and we we love his gift and all of that. But we're excited about what the Lord has for us with other worship leaders being raised up. And as the ministry grows, we're going to need more worship leaders anyway because we're going to have other services and things like that. So real excited about he and Deborah. And we're thankful for both of them very much. And just make sure that you thank him. This isn't his last Sunday. He's going on vacation. And then he'll be back. This last Sunday will be July 2nd um, in leading worship. And then after that, Noel will take over, at least for a season. We don't know how long we'll have her. But um, we're praying for God to raise up other worship leaders. So just want to give you that announcement. We love you, Dave. Thank you. You're a gift.